This is a podcast from Minute Media. Here we are in 2021, and we are going to be talking the stretch run, the the AAA final stretch run, which just came into existence, and we'll get that going here in a second. You're listening to a special edition of Tigers Radio here as we discuss the final stretch run for the Mud Hens. Last 10 games, explain it a little bit to the fans out there. I'm Rahelio Castillo and Samus Chris Brown. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Sister. Before we move on, of course, we're going to have the regular show on Friday as we're going to break down the White Sox series. We'll get into all that. There's a lot of things that's happening with the Tigers, too, and we'll we'll address them all. There was a change, and this actually kind of affects AAA, anyways, Chris. So the mm-hmm. we saw today that AJ Sager, who was a pitching instructor, was let go. He's a former Mud Hen, also former Toledo quarterback. Willie Blair, the pitching coach over at West Michigan, was let go. And Mark Johnson was the double-A pitching coach, correct? Or uh, he, he may – I don't know. He made his way around. I remember when he was the pitching coach in West Michigan, but he's definitely you know moving around the system. Uh, yeah, there, there definitely seemed to be a theme with all the pitching coaches uh, getting let go and the roving pitching coordinator. Something wasn't uh, up to snuff this year, it would seem. Yeah, and they there was a – I think it was a tweet that mentioned that Alavila is already talking to the potential next director of player personnel, correct? Something like that? Well, I, I don't know if there was actually a tweet. Uh, there have been some rumors, and, and basically there's there's uh, some heavy speculation that the that by firing all these guys now or not renewing their contracts or however you want to uh, work it uh, that they may already have a new player head of player development in mind or possibly even in the fold uh, because you would, you would think that perhaps if there's somebody new came on and they didn't know, they might want to interview these people. But uh, if somebody new is coming on and they already have all their people, their own people in mind, then you might not have to worry about staffing these positions. On the other hand, uh, maybe it's the right thing to do to let these, these uh, coaches out of their contracts or, you know, announce their, not coming back immediately so they can have as long as possible to go find new jobs. I, I don't know, but uh, I, it's hard for me to believe that Avila and the front, rest of the front office reassigned David Chad and, and Dave Littlefield without having some pretty strong candidates in mind already. So, yeah. And you can go to mercybangles.com and check out the Chris's article about that. Cause there's, I mean, some of the candidates you mentioned, and there's some vague tweeting too, that we're not, we're not going to go into about some irresponsible speculation, but uh it is interesting to see too that Brian Pena, the and the double A manager, which was I think was it, is it Arnie Baylor? Yeah, Arnie Baylor was not announced. So and then the Lakeland Lakeland head coach or Lakeland manager is Andrew Graham, Shep- correct? Yeah, Graham. Yeah, or Graham. I yeah, Andrew, yeah, I wanted Graham. to call him Shepard because they're both Aussies. Yeah, that's true. And but again, maybe they're maybe we're waiting to see what's going to happen here with the next director of player personnel, and, and maybe they'll get a chance to interview. Pena did a really good job, all things considering what happened to his roster West Michigan. Ari Banger, Banger kept Erie in 500 for a while, too. In Lakeland, look, I mean, there's only so much you can do with some of the roster down there in Lakeland. Yeah, and, and as we said, it seems like a lot of the, the people being let go were not managers, they were coaches. And to a certain you know extent, the managers – have a different job than the coaches. The coaches are the ones trying to apply all these, you know, what, what the organization wants to these 
pitchers and, and, and position players. And obviously the manager is going to have some impact on that, but really the manager's job is, is trying to keep a cohesive team unit there and, and uh, you know, file your reports to the front office and all that stuff. And so it's, yeah, it's tough to know what exactly they wanted to upgrade and, and what they're trying to replace here. Also too, there's a couple of Latin American scouts that were let go as well. So there was, uh, I mean, it was Rafael Martinez, who is the director of Latin America uh, player, de- player development, Martinez. And I think, I believe Andres uh, Tazona is part of that staff too. So, Well, yeah, when Santiago Garrido was let go and he used to play for the t- uh, Tigers down in the minors. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know I've, I started working on a, a long piece about, you know, looking into the history of, of, uh, Latin American development and international market development for the Tigers, uh, coming into it with the idea that they really haven't been very good at all. Uh, and that was largely supported by the data I dug up, but I, you know, there was, there was, it was, it wasn't as bad as I thought because some of the players have really turned out. Okay. They just left the Tigers organization about eight years ago. <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, it, it all depends on how you slice and dice it, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I get the general feeling and we see this when we go up to, you know, we saw the great lakes loons. I don't know how many times we saw them this year, a dozen times. Uh, and that's the Dodgers, uh, high A affiliate now. And they just have a never ending supply of talented international players. It seems just year after year, after year, a new guy comes and moves up and, and another guy replaces them. And, you know, that's, that's what you should aim for. That's your standard. You try to, be as good as the Dodgers and the Tigers just haven't been anywhere close to that. They, you, you find a, an international signing <laughs> in the organization anywhere who is really exciting right now. I mean, triple a nobody double a you had what Elvin Rodriguez and, and that was a trade and he's really not all that exciting anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, Winslow Perez was kind of the hope for the future. He looks like an org guy now. Jose de la Cruz, Adinso Reyes, Roberto Campos, Manuel Sequeira, all these young guys have huge holes in their games. We'll see what becomes of that. But yeah, it's just it has not borne any fruit, really. We got Gregory Soto as the closer. That's pretty nice. But uh, yeah, I think they they want more and they should demand more out of their international program. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it this way, from the standpoint of historically speaking, it's was it Ramon Pena? Was it Ramon Pena, the scout that signed Omar Infante and uh, Jose Lima, correct? I think so. And he was, you wrote the story about him also, Bobby Higginson. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think. He's, yeah. So that's a guy who is responsible for pretty much all the international success the Tigers have had. And it's one of those things where I look at it from a standpoint of, you look at guys like Felipe, if you're looking at the first generation of Latin players that play for the Tigers on a consistent basis, you're talking, Felipe Lira, you're talking Jose Lima, the Raul Casanova. Well, no, Casanova was part of the San Diego, but still, there was just kind of like this Debbie Cruz, which was one of the first finds that the Tigers were like got a, a, a regular, everyday regular from that. Because if you look at it this way, from that point until the 90s, I mean, Barbario Garbay was the first Cuban they, or excuse me, not one of the first Cuban. They, they had, if you go back even to the 60s, Chris, and it was something that I looked up. When I was looking up the Chico Hernandez, Chico Fernandez, the one of the first Hispanic mm-hmm. players for the Tigers, the Tigers had a bunch of Cubans in their system in the early '60s, 
Then when the revolution happened, gone. And they didn't have a lot of Hispanic players. You know, Aurelio Rodriguez was acquired from Washington. But again, in terms of a homegrown standpoint, until Garbay came up in 84, it was kind of a barren thing. And they tried. It's not like they didn't try anything. But then in the 90s, when they made a, they hired more than one scout. When, I mean, Tom Anahan, the former owner of the Tigers, really skimped out on spending money on scouting. And that's where the Dodgers and Pirates. And all these teams in, in uh, the Blue Jays, for example, the Blue Jays, I mean, Tony Fernandez, you could go on and on about all the international talent that the Blue Jays have developed throughout their history. The Tigers are decades. It seems like they're decades behind, Chris. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see what you find on that, because some of the stuff I found on it's just it's like just they were really, really hell bent on seem like getting Michigan homegrown guys or guys from mm-hmm. California. It was like this weird thing that you, you noticed, like just. Or like you know, like Pat Underwood, the number one pick overall. Like there was, or I think it was like one top three pick, lefty in Indiana. It's like they didn't want to go. They weren't doing what the Dodgers were doing even then. I mean, like Fernando Venezuela. That's a story where they literally went to the middle of nowhere, Mexico, and found him. You can't <laughs> say the same thing about a Tiger story, and I'm, I'm it's true. No, I and uh, yeah, I mean. It, it, there are different, million different ways to look at it. What I was looking at was basically because you see, uh, most of the bright young stars in baseball right now are from Latin America: Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Vladimir Guerrero. You got Shohei Otani from uh, Japan, but uh, and Juan Soto. These are these are superstars that came out of international programs, and and uh, you know maybe it's th- because there's so many of them. So at like the same time, we feel like every team should should have something like that, but right. it does feel like the Tigers should have more average or above average major leaguers coming from that. And so that was kind of what I was looking at. I wanted to look at, I looked, I mean, it was like a, a, a multi-part research project that as usual, I spend 10 hours doing research and, and write two lines, but basically I I'm reverse engineering every, I went back and looked at every two win season, essentially a, an average major league season since i don't know what 2006 2000 i don't remember what year i did it and then i went and, and stripped out all the ones except for the players who were international signings so then and then i'm going back and looking at all their minor league numbers to try to see what the average future average major leaguer does in the minors it's kind of a uh, yeah kind of convoluted way but basically once i find that i want to look at who the tigers have now in their system you know, the Christian Santana, the Abel Bastidas, the Roberto Campos, those guys to see if they're on pace to become one of these, you know, solid average major leaguers. It's and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I also when I was doing that, I also was able to keep track of how many teams have produced average major leaguers on the international front. And the Tigers were actually uh, slightly above average in that because by the way I was doing it, it still counted you know, Omar Infante and Ramon Santiago, who signed in the late '90s. So if you if you change it after that, then you get uh, you get guys signing after like 2005, 2010. Then it drops down to basically Suarez, Garcia, and Adamas. But I don't know. Whatever. We'll see what becomes of it. I was going to say. I mean, it. You, you almost every single time you can always point to every single argument on Twitter. Or on face social media, or, or, or Ramon Santiago, but that's it. I mean, you can't. 
until recently, Gregory Soto, Anthony Castro, which they didn't really give him a leash on. And I'm fully convinced. I'm fully convinced of this, Chris, that if Mm -hmm. Anthony Castro under the the new regime was still here, he would have been on the bullpen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I I, I think you're right. I think that uh, Federer would have found something to do with him. Although I haven't followed Castro too much this year. What he's been he's been dinged up a little bit. He's been in the IL, but I still think they would have found a use for him. I think they would have found a way to make that happen. But yeah, there there was a series of times too where you had a few years ago up to 2018, 2019, or Gosama was an exciting arm. There was a couple arms that, or even yeah. what was the I'm trying to think of the right hander that. Um, came up for uh bias sandy bias too sandy, sandy bias. he yeah. disappeared he came he was actually came to the majors once i think yeah vladimir pinto showed some promise at a time yeah there were a bunch of guys that, that looked like they had big arms and, and had some potential and they all just kind of fizzled out uh, other than soto who was you know undoubtedly a success story you, you don't want to you know skip past that but you'd like to see a little bit more of that yeah it's a rough way to end of the year for him but at the same time it is a feather mm-hmm. to the cap of the tigers there but Again, that was what he was signing, I think, in 2012, 2011, something like that. I mean, you can. Sounds about right. And very cheaply. He was not a a high dollar bonus. And that that, that right there may be the ultimate issue. And it's something that I might need to look at is the Tigers have begun spending big dollar amounts ever since they changed the format of the international market where you all have a hard bonus cap. So Tigers have spent one million, two million, up to three million dollars on some of these guys. And so far, the results aren't there. So that may be the real issue there is, is who are we targeting? Why are we targeting these players? And, and can we do better with the money that we have? Also, I mean, the, Harold Castro could technically count as a. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't you'd be hard pressed to say that Harold Castro isn't a valuable player for the Tigers, particularly this Tigers team, uh, because he's got like that Liam Neeson particular set of skills that uh, <laughs> that we talked about before are somehow much more valuable on a good team than on a bad team. If you're relying on Harold Castro every day, it's not going to help you. And he doesn't walk and he doesn't hit for power all except for like that, you know, three game stretch where he's like, Hey, you know what? I'll hit 440 foot home runs, but damned if he doesn't like, if you're going to pick one hitter on the tigers to come up in a clutch spot with the bases loaded when you need one run, (laughs) I think I'd go Harold Castro over even, you know, Miggy or Candy or anybody. He just he puts the bat on the ball. And it's such a strange skill set that is also so very fundamental to the game. Uh, But, yeah, I I mean, I think he's been a success story in in some ways for sure. Yeah, and it it bodes well for the Tigers in terms of for an international standpoint. If he gets to a two order season, which I don't think he's even close right now. Yeah, he, like I say, you know, the war. Generally, the best way to build up war is to is to get on base a lot, hit for power, and play or play good defense, or all three. And Harold Castro doesn't do really any of those. Uh, although he's worth uh, half a win this year in 310 plate appearances. So there you go. Eh, you know, it's better than being a negative, right? Oh, that's for sure. So the let's go into the call-ups for toledo as they with the season was over now for the sea wolves the white caps and also lakeland but what's most impressive about what i just mentioned was that tampa's affiliates all their affiliates have won they're going to the playoffs the triple a affiliate for tampa dunham or durham dunham durham is the regular season champs in triple a east 
My yeah. God, man. Yeah, I mean uh, that's in that in that uh, article I wrote about you know finding the right player development. Uh, the head of player development, I, I mentioned the Rays, you know, trying to poach from the Rays as most teams do because, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's kind of funny thinking of the Rays as this weird player development juggernaut. They don't have a financial financial advantage over any other team. They don't have, they really don't have any advantages over other teams. They don't get that many more top draft picks. I mean, they get more draft picks because, you know, they nobody ever comes to their game and they're a small market and all that stuff, but they win a ton of games. They're not getting high draft picks. Uh, but it's just it's it's a, a player development machine that knows what they want in players, knows how to develop players, knows how to get the most out of players, and so that's all you want, really. You want you want to make your players better if you can, and they've done such a good job of that. It's it's you know sometimes minor league success is built on having a bunch of twenty seven year olds. That's not really the case with the Rays here. They've got a lot of good talent at a lot of levels. Yeah, especially that you look at that Durham, Durham team that they have a bunch of 23, 24 year olds, not a veteran team like Toledo is and no offense to Toledo. Toledo's got a couple people and they just got some reinforcements. Speaking of veterans, AJ Ladwig was called up from Erie and he's 31, 32 years old. So he's an old veteran that was holding it down for the Seawolves this season. Elvin Rodriguez, who you mentioned earlier was called up. Brad Bass also was called up. And Chris Proctor, the catcher, was also called up to AAA for some reinforcements. And then Anthony Ghost, who we saw last week pitch, got his contract selected or hit the 100 miles an hour for Cleveland. And we saw him Friday, was it yeah, Friday night? And fastball looked a little flat, just looked straight. But that he slider, I think it was a changeup or was it a slider or changeup he had? That was a good, good pitch. And he was getting Riley Green right up and in and he was really mm-hmm. getting them on the corners too. Yeah, you know, I I think that's the first time I've ever seen one hundred and one in person. Maybe back in the day, I was at a game for Zamaya or something like that, or maybe Rondon or Soto. I don't know, but yeah, we were sitting right there behind home plate, and he's firing it in there, sitting ninety nine, touched hundred yeah. a bunch, touched one hundred and one, I think two or three times. But yeah, it was, and he backed it up with a slider that was eighty seven, eighty eight. It's not. Like, you know, we, we know not all fastballs are built the same and, and it didn't seem to have, you know, that crazy explosive life. But triple digits is triple digits. And, and from the left side, that's going to be a nightmare for for certain hitters. And, and Riley Green handled it because Riley Green doesn't seem to be bothered in the slightest by left handed pitching. Uh, but he got Kreidler stri- uh, striking out swing in. And I think he got a couple with three strikeouts and two scoreless innings. It, yeah. was, it was impressive. And, yeah, it's just a cool story that, uh, you know. Yeah, I always marvel at, at these types of guys. Uh, you know, it's not quite as impressive. Like I always think Rick and Keel's uh, transition is one of the more impressive that I've ever seen to to go from being a pitcher to a hitter and being, you know, have putting together a couple solid seasons. That just seems so much more difficult. But either way, making that transition and getting back to the majors is is a really cool story. Yeah, especially he went through a lot as just even like as, as kind of a socially awkward person too as well. Got some really grief about that from the media, but either way, mm-hmm. it's good to see him back. And so for the Tigers, this or for Toledo rather, this is an interesting scenario. They're trying to make up for, as you were telling me earlier, ten games. But before we, so it's called the Triple A Final Stretch. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so I, maybe it would help people to to just talk about how it used to be done, how the playoffs used to be handled in Triple A. Yeah. Uh, 2019. You know, obviously, there was nothing in 2020 because the season was canceled, but it used to be just a regular playoff format. And in, in AAA, there would be 
basically uh, two sets of semifinals. So four playoff teams and, and they would play a five game set and then there would be a final. They would play a five game set. And then the unique thing about AAA is that the the winner of that championship in the International League, which is now AAA East, would then face the winner of the Pacific Coast League, which is now AAA West in, in like a one game. Just have some fun and you win a trophy for it or whatever. That's how it used to be done. Now, most of the minor leagues this year reinstituted the playoffs in some capacity. I don't know if they're all the way they were, uh, at least in terms of the number of rounds and number of teams. You know, they used to do like half seasons and the first half winner would face the second half winner and so forth. But you remember the, the whole minor league season was pushed back one month this year so that teams could continue using their AAA stadiums as the alternate site. And you know, that, that altered everything and it kind of cascaded down through the minors and the solution for whatever reason, in triple a wasn't to, instead of have the playoffs, they just rescheduled 10 of those games from the beginning of the year at the end of the year. And they call it the final stretch as Rogelio said. Yeah. What's interesting about the final stretch too, is that if you they're doing something for charity, which I thought was, I, I kind of smirked at this a little bit because like, well, you could do the, you know, you can raise the money for charity. That's great. But you also can give these money to the players too. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's actually, uh, this is actually a really good thing. I was joking about the half kidding, half joking about the pay the players more. So for each home run hit by triple a teams, home and road games during the triple a final stretch, my league baseball will donate $50 per home run to a local charity selected by the team. The team hitting the most home runs over a 10 game span will generate an extra $5,000 donation to the charity. So for the mud hens, they picked the boys and girls club of Toledo. That is the charity they have chosen. So that's pretty cool to see. As far as what the, the you're talking about the, the formatting for double a right now in double a South, it's the Montgomery biscuits who I mentioned earlier, the Rays affiliate. They are the double a South South division <laughs> division. South just division runner up. That, that is, that's just dumb. South South. So, so, uh, versus the Mississippi Braves, the double South South division champions, Mississippi Braves, and they won the season. <laughs> they won the season series 17 to seven. So then the other side of it. So we go down to the double A central, the Wichita wind surge, which is the twins, triple A affiliate will take on Northwest Arkansas naturals. And I mean, by the way, they're the, the, Wichita team was the double A central North division, which again, that's a stupid name too. Uh, that the naturals, which is the Royals double A affiliate. And they were the runner ups in that division. I'm not going to say again, cause it's stupid. Uh, it's redundant to say. And then in the double A Northeast division where the Seawolves play the buoy Bo- <laughs> Bay Sox, Aww. the Northeast Southwest division. What? <laughs> it, yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah, the double a Northeast Southwest division runner up taking on the Akron rubber ducks. And that's the Indians double a Northeast Southwest division. They're the division champions. It's like Alice in Wonderland baseball, like uh, the upside down topsy turvy, right? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah. So playoffs are going on uh, as usual in the other leagues. The Tigers didn't have any affiliates that made it. Uh, Erie, I think, was the closest, although West Michigan may have been close, despite having, I think, not a great record. It just the way it played out. Um, But that home run thing you mentioned is interesting because Toledo, Toledo has some boppers. Toledo might give that a run. You know, they uh, 
they finished with the second most home runs in in the AAA East this year. And over the last month, they had the second most in all of AAA behind only Omaha. Now, Omaha's got MJ Melendez and Bobby Witt and Ryan McBroom and Nick Prado, who are all hitting monster shots. But it also seems like a very friendly ballpark. So that seems unfair. But uh, yeah, I mean, when you got Torkelson, you got Green, you got Adeline Rodriguez, you got Josh Lester, you've got Zach Short, you got Cody Clemens, there's Ryan Kreidler. Like, how many. I'm, who who in that lineup has fewer than 15 home runs? Is it just the catcher, probably? Yeah, I think so. It's I think Juan Centario is the starting catcher. So yeah, you got you got Green's got 23, Torque's got 26, Clemens has 17, uh, Adeline Rodriguez has 26 or 27, Lester has 31, Kreidler has 20. Who am I missing? See here, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. There's a, by the way, Zach Short might not. What's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about <laughs> playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. <laughs> well, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I've been wanting, I've been playing, I've been waiting, I've been sitting on that for a long time because we haven't had a chance to talk about playoffs. And at the mention, such a great drop. Uh, so yeah, it's Christian Stewart twenty. Uh, Yari, well, Gonzalo, Yari Gonzalez stay with the Sea Wolves, but in terms of regulars who are on the team right now, did you mention Christian Stewart? I don't think you did, right? I didn't, and okay. and I guess Robson probably doesn't have twenty home runs, but he's still hitting like yeah three hundred or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and and by the way, they're playing. So yeah, I guess we should we should talk about the silliness of this final stretch because it is yeah. every team is going to play two five game series, one at home, one on the road, and they're going to crown a champion based on whoever has the highest winning percentage. So there's 30 teams playing 10 games. I guess they're hoping that one team is going to go 10 and 0 or 9 and 1, but you have to believe there're going to be a whole bunch of uh ties and then there are four tiebreakers. The first tiebreaker is regular season winning percentage. And we looked that up so that the of all the AAA teams, I think the Hens have the seventh or eighth, eighth best winning percentage overall. They're behind Buffalo, Durham, and Scranton in the East and tied with Jacksonville. And then they're behind Sugarland, Reno, and Tacoma in the West. So, yeah, tied for eighth, I guess. Uh, so let's say they have a better record than all those teams. The second tiebreaker, but they, in the final stretch, they tie Jacksonville with whom they had a tie during the regular season in terms of record, both 69 and 51. The next uh, tiebreaker is the regular season head-to-head record, which would be great if Jacksonville and Toledo ever played each other this year, but they did not. So the third tiebreaker goes to whoever had the best record over the final 20 games of the regular season. And this is where Jacksonville gets the edge. They went 13 and seven and Toledo went 12 and eight. So there you go. Toledo has to, if they want this weird final stretch crown, they're going to have to go 10 and 0 and, and also be, have a better record than Jacksonville. Well, you were explaining that to me again. I was just, I was, my eyes were almost crossed. I'm like, okay, then I followed that around and I actually wrote it down how it looks like mm-hmm. I followed it. <laughs> so, yeah. It looks like a star. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange system that is seemingly designed just to get ten more games out of players, which is fine, whatever. Uh, 
you know, as you mentioned earlier, some guys got called up because some injuries to the Tigers, Derek Hill, Gregory Soto, Jose Cisnero, like a bunch of injuries that hit him. So they called some guys up and uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it the, the Muttons are playing two teams that they pretty much handled this year. They went nine and three in their two series against Louisville and six and oh in their one series against the uh, St. Paul Saints. So they should come out with a pretty good record, but you never know. It's minor league baseball, whatever. Yeah. So the, the, the five starters that will be going against Louisville this week, game one is Navarro Rodriguez, who they picked up from Houston. It's been sitting on the 40 man game. Two is Mark Leiter jr. Game three is Ricardo Pinto. Game four is interesting because it has Logan Shore against Tim Eidelman, a former Mudhead starter who's pitching for the bats. So that should be interesting. And then game five is uh, Pedro Piano. Uh, and here's a fun wrinkle. Tomorrow's game is supposed to be at one o'clock, right? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the forecast. The fore- forecast. I'm looking at the <laughs> forecast for Toledo right now, and I see 100% chance of rain. Gee, golly, don't uh, you know? 100% chance of rain all day tomorrow in Toledo. Oh, no, it's all in, day. It's in Louisville, though. Oh, you're right. Let's check. Uh, good call. Well, let's check the Louis. I, I'm guessing the weather's not going to be too much. Let's, different. Uh, let's check the Doppler 9000 radar down the Louisville's finest weather report here. Brought to you by Kentucky. the bats. Oh, hey. All right. Their their chance of rain moves drops down to 80 percent. So, uh, let's see. Oh, 60. Yep. 70. Starting at 1 p.m. 70 percent stays at 80 percent till 5 p.m. Drops to 50 percent at 9 p.m. So. I'm thinking we might be having a final stretch that involves some double headers. Yeah, it's going to be a giant cluster. You know what here in the next couple of weeks. So it's, I don't It was, I understand like for me and more minor league baseball, the better at two weeks left. We have two weeks left of Riley green, Torkelson, Riley green, possibly in his last time as a, in a mud hens uniform. If you think about it, Torkelson, also but, possible. I mean, it yeah, depends possible, on how it's possible, spring training yeah. next year. Right before I get yelled at about, oh, he's gonna be on the roster, Roger. Don't be so damn cynical. <laughs> I don't know how that. I, I, again, baseball. Oh, there's nothing in baseball guaranteed. And also, there's a huge difference between AAA and the majors. It's yes. uh, a giant difference. So, even you know, projecting Riley Green to have success next year is is a is a stretch. You know, right? Um, and he's very talented. They're both very talented. It's just it's it's very hard to come into the majors and do well. So, uh, but. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this could be the last chance for for Mudhens fans to see those guys, and uh, so yeah, I hope people get out to the games. Yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna check out a game next week for the St. Paul series, and Friday night is Miguel Cabrera night, which we'll we'll talk a little more about that on th- on Thursday's recording. So when we have Uper with us, but that's about it. I think I just wanted to talk about Toledo a little bit, talk about some of the moves today. We'll get more into it with Uper on friday's show so thanks for everybody who's left the review we had a couple of reviews in the last couple of weeks thank you thank you to everybody who left some nice comments and liked yeah. the, the minor league schedule thing which was the most i did that every week and there were some weeks where it didn't really i wasn't sure people were liking it but there was a great appreciation for it and one of the comments that i like was that i know now what what triple a affiliates with who and that was nice. the idea and and just simply to have something there where they can point reference and go Okay, I'm gonna, and especially because we do have some high, die diehard minor league fans out there. We have Alice Simon or some, or, or I forgot her name now. There's Alice, Alice Salmon, Alice, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah Salmon. There's uh, Melissa. There's a couple other people out there. 
and special that's that's really cool of them to go pay go around and especially melissa who actively supports the minor league players and so another thing we're going to be coming out with here in the next couple days once we get our bearings together is we're going to do a season preview or season review season in review of lakeland and we're going to go through all affiliates the highs the lows some of the call up stuff like that so we'll go through each team and i'll probably be dropping that it's gonna be more of a scripted format so that's gonna be dropping on our youtube page at tiger miley reports and of course we'll be having some of the tool stuff all that stuff there's plenty of content coming and for a patreon only fo- folks there's gonna be some more of that too so become a patreon member tigers radio pod at patreon.com or if you want to donate to or just want to donate period if you just want to donate a few bucks and say hey you guys are just doing great here's a buck so we can get a candy bar whatever or not candy bar i'm trying to watch my sugar whatever the case may be or delicious coke zero there is if you go to the tiger pod page because we got an email out of there there is a donate button you can do that as well so and there's anything else chris for toledo we should cover oh the game oh the games you can watch them for free Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm ILB TV, so that's a good way to go on a Wednesday night. Especially the Tigers are playing, they're playing a day game tomorrow, right? The Tigers are in a way, or the, well, that's another one with that that might be screwed by the weather, right? It's, oh yeah, yeah. Set at one ten, but it's supposed to rain all day, so I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna. They might. That might just be a canceled game. You know, it seems like four out of the five last five or six years, the Tigers have just had a game that wasn't made up. And and that seems like it could be one. I'm so sick of the rain and there's supposed to be a flood warning out where I live. I'm not sure where there's going to be where you live, but a little, a little over it. I actually have a lot over it. So thanks for everybody checking out all our content this year. We, again, I, I cannot express the words of gratitude for everybody who is cruising on video and special shout outs to Kian from Tiger Mind League Tracker for, again, giving me the opportunity to go down to Lakeland and stay with him. James Chipman, Jake Bose, who is good, good people. A lot of great, we've met a lot of great people this summer. Melissa, too, who we met a couple of games. We had that random guy. I remember at Toledo, the guy that came from North Carolina. He's like, oh, I just want to come by and say, hey, you guys do great work. And we had new Chris, I go to you. I'm like, you know that guy? You're like, no idea who that guy was. Um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that guy I, was I, awesome. I want to say his name was Tony. I think um, that maybe that's what is. I thought maybe Mike too sounded from rings a bell, but uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, no, I mean it, it's. I don't know if anybody ever sees us at games. We're more than happy to say hello and talk to you about baseball. Yeah. We love it. Yeah, exactly. Come by, say hi. We'll you know more likely be sitting there either recording with our phones out, or I'll be potentially. Yeah, or we'll be tweeting stuff out. So don't be, don't be afraid. Come by, say hey. And we'll be back on Friday again with the, the regular Tiger full, full, full show. No guests this week, but Crystal and Janice were fantastic. And the numbers were showing, too. So a lot of good comments, a lot of feedback on them, too. And I'm glad because Crystal and Janice are really good at what they do in terms mm-hmm. of just writing. And Janice, I saw her earlier today on the NBC Sports podcast talking about some fantasy baseball she was talking the jays i think it was the jays no no i'm sorry the cardinals playoff chances beginning of oh. august until now it's pretty impressive so yeah, what did they want nine in a row something yeah. like that that voodoo magic tyler o'neill man that was a guy who last year thought, yep. you know had a breakout season and again i i it's it's amazing and cardinal fans are so insufferable too like, it's the end <laughs> of the world and they always pull it out so 
Yeah. We'll see you. We'll see you Friday for Friday show. Have a good uh, have a good couple of days and go Mudhens. <laughs>